Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and today we have a another awesome guest. I'm really excited to speak with Amanda Faith. Uh, we've spoken a few times. I've only known her a short while, and of all the people I've met on social media, she is one of the fastest movers up the ascending up the uh, up the ladder for the uh, mental health initiative, uh, the uh, fentanyl poisoning. Uh, awareness that we're trying to bring to the table. And she's the first guest I've ever had that's gone right from Dr. Phil to the Living Undeterred podcast. So Amanda, thank you very much. And we'll talk about, we're going to put Dr. Phil in a box and talk about <laughs> him later. But I want to thank you very much for uh, being on the show. You have a, a you know, a, an amazing story to tell. And I'm, I'm, I stand in awe of what you've done in the amount of time that you've done. So why don't, why don't you tell my followers, my listeners a little bit about you and about your story, and then we can navigate the next 45, 50 minutes on how we can help people. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It's a big step in how we can help people. Um, I live in Northern California. My, my beautiful son, Luca, he was 13 years old um, when he got what he thought was a Percocet from a dealer on Snapchat. Um, as it turned out, it was a counterfeit pill and it was pure fentanyl. Um, and I knew that his story was valuable. I knew that his story could save lives. Um, at the time I couldn't really share it because of the investigation ongoing and, you know, all of that. But what got me really into awareness in the way that I have, and I will continue to be, is the stigma. Um, not long after losing Luca, about five months, three young men um, died across the street from my driveway. Um, they got together to have a party, um, and they thought that they were doing lines of cocaine uh, but it was fentanyl and all three right died. across the street from you. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the end of my driveway. I, I knew them from walking my dog. They had always been extremely polite and kind. And so I went on to the news article of their passing to offer my condolences because anyone who's lost a child to any sort of drug death or fentanyl poisoning understands just how traumatic it really is. Um, the stigma makes it even more so. And so I went into the article and there were comments from my community that just broke my heart. Um, things like one less druggie in the world. Um, you play, you pay. Don't people know that using drugs is stupid? Um, and the like. So I got my That's first Facebook amazing. ban. I got my first That's Facebook just amazing. ban. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was well, well deserved. I haven't been banned since because I've learned how to, you know, control my triggers, but I had yeah. to, I'm a behavioral therapist. So I sat there with my triggers and had to really break down why, why I was mm -hmm. so triggered by that, why I took it so personally. And I realized that as long as we have a stigma of, you know, people with a substance abuse disorder or addicts 
or, you know, any of the horrible things that people say, mm-hmm. we're at more risk right. because it becomes an us versus them kind of a situation. And we're not doing all we can to protect the people we love. You know, if we, if we think that just drug abusers are dying um, from overdose, and I put that right. in quotations because that's what yeah. it's called on medical paperwork. Um, right. It's not an overdose, obviously. And a lot of people in the fentanyl awareness community understand that, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not that they're being given too much of something. It's that they're being mm-hmm. poisoned to death. Um, so I started the faces of fentanyl poisoning. Um was a simple compilation of videos showing slides face after face after face. And the idea is that all of those faces look like somebody, you know, whether you are, you have addicts in your life that are family, friends, um, people with SUD that are even your own children. You know, every single one of those faces looks like a cousin a neighbor, a friend, mm-hmm. a brother, you know, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the point in sharing that. And, you know, when Luca's case was being investigated, it was investigated properly. Um, mm-hmm. was immediately investigated as a homicide. His dealer from Snapchat is now being held awaiting trial for murder. Um, and that's very rare. It's very, very rare, but you know, and I hear from parents all the time that I'm lucky or I'm one of Mm -hmm. the lucky ones. And I would not say that I'm lucky. Okay. Nobody Mm -hmm. in this situation is lucky, but (laughs) I do have the advantage that because Luca was so young, he breaks the stigma. Yeah. You know, I had detectives telling me, well, no one's going to walk into a 13-year-old room, year old's room and say, just another addict. Um, yeah, it certainly drew a line in the sand, mm-hmm. you know, where, okay, this, this now is very clear. This has, this has to stop. We're having basically children die. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am going on year, well, October will be six years since we lost Seth, which is just, you can relate. It feels like six days and it feels like 600 years simultaneously. Mm -hmm. It's an odd way to carry that through your life and try to explain to people, you know, time heals all wounds. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't agree with that, but it certainly helps. It certainly helps soften the blow, you know, that the, the kind of the, the I, I like to say eloquently that the weight of my tears aren't full of sorrow and sadness and pain anymore. They're full of hope and inspiration. So I still cry. It's just a different type of sad, you know, crying. Kind oh, I go gut wrenching. I go back and forth. I go back and Do forth. You know? I have. Now, when did people, Luca pass away? Um, in August of two thousand twenty. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's another thing. You're still in that raw stage, you know, it's not been that long, you know, and I'm not saying when you get to be five years, like I am that it'll change. I think everybody's biochemistry is different. You know, we're all kind of wired to deal with certain things differently, but 
Yeah. His story is what caught my attention when I was kind of going through Facebook. Because you know, you and I, we could spend 24 hours a day on Facebook mm -hmm. and not meet a 10th of the people out there affected by this stuff. And so you kind of, kind of draw the line. You got to kind of follow somebody for a while and say, well, that person kind of sounds like someone I want to meet. And you're one of the people that, and even before your appearance on Dr. Phil, I, I had reached out to you on some comment you had made. Cause I think you and I have a lot of similar, our children both died of the same thing, but they both died in different, you know, unique ways. You know, Seth had a substance abuse problem. Yeah. You know, he, he was an addict, you know, an alcoholic, you know, yet he, you know, underlying was a normal American kid. He was a normal kid you know, just made a series of really poor choices that accumulated in his death by heroin in a CD hotel room with a needle, which is so Hollywood stereotypical, but yeah. that wasn't who he was. And so, you know, when Luca passed away, everyone's like, okay, now wait a minute. He's 13. He hasn't even had a chance to be an addict yet. He hasn't had a chance to be an alcoholic yet. Yeah. And culpability, here. you know, the culpability right. came into play. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, and that's exactly what I'm using to try to share awareness because mm -hmm. people pay attention because he was only 13. You know, people, mm -hmm. people see it differently because he was 13. And I like to point out that fentanyl doesn't care if someone yeah. is 13 or 30 or an addict or not. Um, it's a, it's a ongoing problem because as long as we feed into the stigma we're feeding into the machine that's keeping everybody at risk mm -hmm. at risk and it only grows because the ideology is that their lives don't matter if they have an sud or substance abuse disorder yeah i when i got thrust into this five years ago i actually met a gentleman named steve grant which you need to hook up with him on facebook and, and linkedin and stuff great, great person. He lost his only two boys 20 years ago, four years apart, Chris and Kelly, you know, 20 years ago when, you know, fentanyl was, you know, it was just in hospitals at the time used for right. stage four cancer treat, you know, pain relief. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, there really was a stigma. Like Steve used to say, I didn't have Facebook chat rooms to go talk to. The only person I know with someone else dead was his brother. You know, he didn't have a community like you and I have this. If I wanted to, I could spend so much time getting, um, you know, getting validation, getting support, affirmation, you know, hang in there, Jeff. Steve didn't have any of that. It actually was a stigma heavier back than 20 years ago than it is today. Big time. You know, it, it is literally the brown bag, alcoholic, wino, you know, heroin addict in a CD hotel. I mean, that that's what it was 20 years ago. But I've, I've got to know Steve. I read his book. Um, he, he's raised a million dollars through his foundation, the Chris and Kelly Hope Foundation. He's actually one of my state partner stops. Mm. And Chris and Kelly, they were just like Seth, you know, they weren't any different. Um, they died about the same age. But, you know, when I meet people like that and I see what they've done and then I meet like you and what you're currently doing, you know, it, it's just so inspirational because at the end of the day, the Lucas, the Seths, Chris, the Kellys, you know, these kids, like you said, nobody, I hate when I hear somebody say something about addict and I want to get the Dr. Phil in a minute. Cause I think there was some really good opportunities he had. And I think he just 
you know, dropped the ball massively. Yeah. And, and even the conversation with some of the other people kind of dropped the ball. And I sat there looking back going, they're kind of talking about Seth. Yeah. I mean, and someone's like, don't take it personally. It's like, screw you. How can I not take this personally? I took it personally I mean, it, it, and Luca right, didn't even and, have a right. substance abuse disorder. And that's, and that's one of the reasons yeah. why you're, you know, my attraction to what you're doing is, is different because you don't have that vested interest to see us from a lens, from a substance abuser or an addict lens like I do. Yet I'm very compassionate to people that have lost children that didn't have an addiction. I'm not separating the two. Yeah. But it seems like when they look at Seth, they do separate the two. And I'm like, you know, I understand your son or daughter was an all-American kid. They, and you know what? You say they never did drugs. I'm not talking about you, Amanda, but I hear a lot of people say, well, my son, this was, the, you know, there's a, like, I got caught shoplif shoplifting in fifth grade. All right. Mm -hmm. I told my dad's the first time I shoplifted. It wasn't. Right. The first time I got caught shoplifting. So, so when parents, when now 13 is different, obviously there's, there's no way, yeah. I mean, he's, he's less than the age of first use. So, so I, you know, I'm pretty, pretty certain he wasn't popping pills for five years, but there's a lot of kids that are 18, 19 are dying that their parents probably didn't realize they actually had a problem, but they're just saying, well, no, my son didn't. And he just took one Percocet and died. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's lots of things I did. My parents didn't know about, and there's probably things that your kids are doing, but again, Luca's different deal. I, I really put him in a separate box, Amanda, because well, he's, but, he's 13, you know, that's, but that doesn't, there aren't many alcoholics and addicts that are 13. No, no. I mean, Drew Barrymore, but she's, she recovered and now she's a productive mm. member of society. You know what I mean? Like, but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me. And I think more parents need to use those teachable moments, especially parents mm -hmm. in positions like mine, say their kid didn't ever use before. They might be 19 and never used before. Who are we to know? They're not, the kids aren't here to ask anymore. Correct. You know, they're, we can't ask them. We have to assume and go off of our own gut instincts and all of those things. But every single parent, regardless of the situation, has the ability to change the narrative and try to erase the stigma. Period. Mm. You know, I, I constantly remind people because Luca was only 13, his story has gotten a lot of traction, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm using it to my advantage. I'm absolutely marketing his age for kids just like Seth and just like all of the other countless kids mm -hmm. from parents I've met that are hurting so badly. Fentanyl mm -hmm. is the enemy, not, you know, and, and with the stigma, people don't see it. I got to thinking, actually, you had said something like that. Maybe it was on the Dr. Phil show, but I got to thinking because, you know, Seth died at 23, but his journey started with Adderall. Now, Percocet, Xanax, Adderall, you can kind yeah. of throw those in a, in a box that you, you know, kids buy them and steal them from their parents. But, you know, if Seth was 16 today, he, he may have done exactly what Luca did. Yeah. And he may not, he, he may not have made it to 23 when he died. It's just fentanyl wasn't around as much in 16 in pills. It was in heroin. Yeah. And that's what my son was using with a needle in his arm heroin, but it wasn't in the pills today. You got what? 42% of the, all the pills on the market are, are counterfeit. Yeah. 
And of those 42, they have traces of fentanyl enough to potentially kill somebody. And it's even higher than that I'm in like, socioeconomically. Oh my gosh, that's just in socioeconomically pardon? depressed areas, it's much higher than that. Yeah, I just you like know? Yeah, I think again, um okay, so let's I want to move into this Dr. Phil moment because I do think that kind of separates you from a lot of the other people out there um, trying to do good. And, and you have, a, again, an opportunity to be on Dr. Phil. Wow, what a great honor to be able to do that. Absolutely. I watch, the, I watch, I watch kind of the Reader's Digest version and my heart goes out to the other families. And, and first of all, I thought you did a tremendous, I thought they all did a tremendous job. I just think the producers and Dr. Phil just dropped the ball a little bit in regards to Again, the, you know, we're trying to change the needle. We're trying to move the needle and change the narrative. Mm -hmm. And yet I kept seeing these stigmas coming back into this conversation with 18 million viewers. And I'm like, man, Dr. Phil, we had such a great opportunity with four passionate parents there to tell their story. Let's use their stories to, you know, obviously fentanyl. Let's, sure, let's, let's eradicate it off the planet. But if it's not fentanyl, something else is going to come around behind it mm -hmm. and so let's talk about the real underlying problem. Now, again, in Luca's case, it's different, but the other kids on the panel there, I know they all died in similar situations, but they weren't 13, you know, they were right. older. Um, and maybe they were drinking occasionally in the weekends. Maybe they're not, I don't want to pass judgment there, but to me, I just got to thinking this really could have, and I know the show was focused on fentanyl, one pill kills great marketing campaign, by the way, by whoever came up with that. I, I do think that's helping. Yeah. I say it all the time. One pill kills. Yeah. Um, but it's like, again, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just barking up the wrong tree here. I've, know? I've even changed the narrative from the one pill to one use because it's not just mm. pills killing, you know, like one that. line I kills, like one shot kills, like one, it's one use really. Um, I'm going to write that down. I may have to give you credit for that. I, I do like that. That's a lot more all encompassing. It is. It is. And you know. that's with, with my stance on awareness, I have tried to be very, very inclusive because I know you have. there was a time where I upheld the stigma and even furthered it. My mother mm -hmm. um, had a substance abuse disorder and because of the trauma I faced growing up and in my own life and with her, I mean, it's hard to love an addict. You know, um, mm, yeah. there are times that you yeah. absolutely loathe them. And when it's your parents, someone that's supposed to be looking out for you, you develop a lot of biases. So mm -hmm. part of the way I'm able to address the biases is that I completely understand them because I've said most of those things myself. Mm. Um, so with, with awareness, like knowing those things and knowing those feelings actually helps. Like it helps to be able to, when people say, at least Luca wasn't an addict, say things like, well, fentanyl doesn't care if someone has a substance abuse disorder or not, mm -hmm. you know, and was this the first pill he ever took? Well, I don't know. He's not here for right. me to ask, but had he been given Percocet, he would still be alive. You know, Absolutely. and yeah. at least he wasn't an addict. Well, you know what? If he became an addict, there would still be a chance for recovery. But fentanyl took that away. Hmm. You know, and those are simple ways parents can change the narrative, even if 
people are only paying attention to their story because their 13-year-old son died from taking one pill. The truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter. The pain is still the same. What I've taken from your story and the Dr. Phil show was the Snapchat angle, because I've said before many times, I didn't realize 80 to 90,000 drug dealers a day are on Snapchat trying to lure in our children. And I, I heard that statistic on the show and I went, I wrote it down and I'm going to start repeating that on the tour every time I speak. I didn't realize that, Amanda. I thought it was just random guy, you know, drug dealers. No, no. And it's across. But 80 to 90,000. And that's probably, that's probably conservative. Yeah. And that's across all the platforms. So platforms like Facebook, Instagram, those things, um, dealers occasionally try to use those, but they shut them down quicker um, than Snapchat. How do they catch them? Um, keywords, tags, um, you know, the same way that, but aren't now the kids now using the kids using symbols in certain ways to to get past that? They always have been, but now the symbols are being added to the, um, to the monitoring systems. So that's a huge, big step. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the major differences between, most social media platforms and Snapchat, however, and one of my major areas of contention is third-party monitoring. I'm not saying every parent in America needs to spy on their kids. What I'm saying is they should have the ability to check in on what their kids are doing when they see red flags in behaviors or you know, any of those things, they should have the ability and Snapchat, especially at 11, 12 and 13. Yeah. Um, and Snapchat still hasn't allowed parents to have that ability. It's not that we want to, you know, go in and check every single thing that they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I allowed Luca to have almost complete autonomy over his life. And Mm -hmm. he was such an intelligent kid and Mm -hmm. that I, I didn't fear losing him, not, not to drugs, not like this. You know, one of his favorite rappers had died from drugs. He was a very anti-drug as far as I knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, it happened because kids are kids and he, yeah. So I know Luca's story quite well. Do you mind sharing a few, a few special things about him? Um, mm. that makes him unique. Oh, yeah, I know man. he's highly intelligent. I, I, I hear you talk about his intelligence yeah. a few times. Yeah, um, he was intelligent. Musically he was inclined. Obstinate. Was he into sports? Um, he was. He he liked football. He liked basketball. Okay. He was just getting really, really good at football. So okay. that was fun. I I truly miss being a football mom every single day. Yeah, uh, More yeah. so during football season, but you know what I mean. Um, right. he was just, oh my God, he was my hero. You know, mm-hmm. he was definitely one of my heroes of all my life. I, um, when still he was, a, is. absolutely, absolutely. He's, yeah. he's still guiding me. Um, yeah. when he was born, uh, not long after I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. So every day, like I just tried to make that day count for something, leave some sort of memory because I, I truly mm-hmm. thought I would be dying. 
So I had to work really fast and hard on raising my kids to be the men that I thought the world needed. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very evident with Luca. He was my mini me. He picked up on every (laughs) single thing I put out. Um, By the time he was five, he threw his very first toy drive for homeless kids. Um, I remember you telling me that and I thought, what a rock star, five years old. That's I've never heard that before. That's amazing. Yeah. He went so above and beyond anything I could have ever expected from him in his short life, you know? And I mean, a week before he passed away, he was nagging me about going to feed the homeless. Um, because I used to do this thing with him. I would take spaghetti, I would make spaghetti and we would take it and we'd put out a blanket and share dinner with the homeless in our community picnic style. Um, Hmm. And he really enjoyed doing that. It gave him a sense of self-worth, you know, being in service of others, just like what we're doing. It's no different. Advocacy is no different because being in service of others and, you know, having a feeling of trying to help and make a place in the world that's inclusive and loving um, is never a bad thing. And that was Luca. You know, those are the ways he still inspires me. And that'll well, never stop. Luke and Luke and Seth are helping thousands and thousands and probably millions of people by the time this whole by the time you and I are off this planet. Um I'm an advocate. I don't know, for I don't now. know what <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll know. worry about tomorrow when I get there. Well, okay, no, so let just me ask if I you, do my job, if I do my job, yeah. there will be no need for me. Right. You'll, you'll price yourself out of the market as we say in the the investment business. Absolutely. Um, So you're, you always have a smile on your face. Um, Even when you're in pain, I can see the smile, but has this always been who you have been? You've always been optimistic, positive person, or did you learn to become this from what you went through with cancer and with Luca? I started learning this at a very young age. Um, because of my mom's addiction, you you have to sort sort of learn to be a chameleon. Um, right. Some people call it codependency, um, yeah. but you have to learn to you know meld and mold and and do all of those things. But I was always incredibly intelligent, so I would always try to figure out the why. And mm-hmm. that's, that's how I went into behavioral therapy. That's how I've, you know, mm-hmm. done a lot of the things I've done throughout my life. I always, I had to understand the why. And I always wanted to share my perspective of that because in so many ways, as a kid, I didn't feel like I was ever heard. Um, right. So, you know, in advocacy, specifically fentanyl poisoning, you know, I share the defeats, I share the wins, I share those dark moments that nobody will talk about because it encourages other people to try to find one spot that they can share from, you know, and that's all it takes. If, if everyone in the country that had lost someone to fentanyl poisoning stood up, said no more and shared their story, there would be no need for awareness anymore. Right. Because even if fentanyl was out there, people wouldn't be doing it. No. They wouldn't even be taking Percocet. They no. wouldn't be taking Xanax because they would find other ways to whatever the... I know with kids, it's probably mostly just curiosity. Absolutely. You know, 
Absolutely. They're not thinking I can't sleep at night. I have to take this or I have to study for a test. I mean, they're probably just like a little bored, mm -hmm. curious. And, Luca but, was trying to show off. Yeah. Luca, Luca was trying to impress people. Um, one of the last, well, the last thing Luca did, and the reason I know this and I can, can infer it, is because the last thing Luca did was record a video of himself um, mm. using the wow. tablet that killed him. Um, wow. So, you know, peer pressure, um, trying to look cool. He had been bullied. I mean, there are a lot of aspects in play. So, I mean, even as far as harm reduction and stuff like that, you know, we need to talk about bullying. We need to talk about mental health. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about some harm reduction things because it seems to be a more popular topic on my podcast. But, you know, when I kind of got thrust into this uh, area of, um, you know, death and abuse and all this, I didn't realize the polarization on certain sides of topics. I mean, I, I really didn't. It's, it's worse than, you know, Trump and Biden at times. It can it's, be. It's, yeah, it can be. Now, granted, that's more on the minor incident side, but it seems like there's camps that just kind of set down and they're unwilling to make any concessions. And so people spend a lot of time, and I see this, and I, I know you see it too, of just kind of wasting energy on words, you know? And I, I know we're trying to stay, change stigmas and I, part of it is the labels that we put on people. So I'm all for that. But sometimes I think to myself, okay, nine people have just went back and forth for 30 minutes. About no SUD gonna, versus addict. No one's yeah. going to come to the middle, first of all. It's like trying to, I'm going to convert you to be a Catholic right now. You know, ain't going to happen, okay? We've kind of already made, and I'm just as guilty as this, but we kind of already made our camp, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think I'm really trying to do is be really open-minded on these topics. So I bite my tongue a lot on Facebook. I, I don't, I like and little positive comments, but I, boy, I just like, I know if I start this comment, I'll be doing it for half an hour and then I got to send it and then go like this and then respond to everybody. And then it's like, but my son is over here. I could sit down and talk to him. I could, I could watch a Netflix show. I've been wanting to watch. I could read a book. Mm -hmm. So I just, I opt to do the things that are less toxic. And even though I think I could probably win some of these, you know, battles on, on social media, I just, I've chosen for me, Amanda, to kind of just take the high road and just let people figure it out the, themselves. You the know? only ones that I engage in. So I don't engage in the groups as much, but I do use, I don't either anymore. I do use substance abuse disorder mm -hmm. and addict interchangeably. And okay. the reasoning is that when you are trying to confront a bias, mm -hmm. you know, um, you go to where that bias is and you speak from that level. You speak from that mm -hmm. point and you build it up. If we start out mm -hmm. with substance abuse disorder every single time, we're going to miss half of the audience. If we mm -hmm. switch out between addict, they're like, what is she going to say next? Sure. Um, you get their attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I mean, it's how do you eat an elephant? You do it one bite at a time. We can't mm -hmm. attack every single aspect of mm -hmm. fentanyl poisoning awareness as one person and we can't do it at one time it has to be a slow gradual build 
And then once we get enough information out there, we will be able to just bombard everyone with the appropriate terms. And that's where those conversations are meaningful, not right now. They're, they're just how not helpful. Get, how do we get fentanyl off the streets? There's always going to be something. Um, mm. It's not about getting fentanyl off the streets. It is about making the American public aware of the effects of fentanyl, how truly dangerous it is to, you know, talk to kids, educators, mm. schools, all of those things, mm. and to attack mental health. We, we need yeah. to really, really pull out all the stops when it comes to um, mental health. And no, the one school counselor is not enough mental health for your son or daughter. It's just not. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go see, see the high school counselor. Sorry. Um, well, you know, I guess going back to changing the narrative and having these conversations, it's like, I think we go back to the mental health angle and, you know, figure out, you know, why these kids are even thinking some of these, not now they have to know, or they should know that it's literally Russian roulette, you know, now. Yeah. But even 10 years ago when fentanyl wasn't in Percocet and Adderall and all these things, you know, wh why were they taking these things in the first place? And I don't know. I hope on the tour I can meet a lot of clinicians, a lead of behavioral therapists, a lot of psychologists. I have guesses and opinions based on my own observations and my own life experiences. But I would think if we can get the kids at a really young age and say, hey, you know, if you're anxious, go run. Mm -hmm. You know, go lift weights, you know, go listen go to some music, write in your journal. Yeah. Yeah. Write, yeah. write lyrics. I know Seth and he, Seth and Luca both here's some markers, music. make some art. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, oh, I think I know what I was going to say. I think, okay, now I know what I was going to say this happens with attention deficit. It comes back to me eventually <laughs> is, you know, we spend a lot of time on the kids, but I think a lot of the problems are the homes mm -hmm. and, you know, I know Seth, I, I want to believe Seth grew up in a good home. I want to believe Luca did as well, but there's a lot of kids that didn't grow up in good homes mm -hmm. and with alcoholic parents and, and arguing and the fighting and maybe sex abuse and things that were a lot of, a lot of issues that went on in that house that are just so toxic. Yeah. And I think if we can get as parents, the word out that we need to be better parents first with ourselves. That means you quit drinking. That means you quit doing all the things that are counterproductive that are, that are, you know, deconstructive to your own life and your family unit, then maybe your kid has a better opportunity with the, the nature element of nature versus nurture. You know, I, I'm grasping at but straws you see, here because parents, parents do not want to hear that. You would not ever, I, I know <laughs> again, it's how do you eat an elephant? Um, parents never yeah. ever want to hear that. So, and because I certainly, you know, I'm go yeah, ahead. Sorry. An easier way versus telling them, Oh, just be better parents. Because that's what they're going to hear. I mean, let's be real. Um, is how are you teaching your kids coping mechanisms? What are you doing to support their interests? Those kind of things. If a parent becomes truly invested in their kids and teaching them coping mechanisms, finding out their interests and being involved with them, all of these mm -hmm. things, that will take away the other problems in a lot of mm -hmm. cases. Um, 
of course, not in sexual abuse and, and stuff like that. The, those right. things are much more serious and the child right. may have to be removed. Um, right. Sometimes that is in the child's best interest because usually they come to someone like me who's a behavioral therapist that works with mm -hmm. them to teach them healthy coping mechanisms, watches their patterns, points them out to them. You know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of a lot of really, really, really good tools. There really are. Um, it's kind of one of the reasons that I knew that Luco's story was so important because I did work with him at that level and we were extremely close. So I knew mm -hmm. that if it could happen to me, it could absolutely happen, happen to, to anyone, anybody. anyone yeah, at all. And that's certainly, that's a true statement. And I don't want any more moms to feel this way. It's yeah. horrific. It's horrific every single day. Yeah, I have a mm -hmm. smile on my face because that's part of my coping mechanism. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's it just is, but it's a nightmare. You know, losing Luca, especially to drugs. Losing a child mm -hmm. is bad. Losing a child to a drug-related death, you face a whole other set of obstacles like the stigma. And that's one of the reasons I'm fighting so hard. I had two moms on my podcast, um, Ann Moss Rogers and Lisa, uh, Leslie Warwick, and they both, uh, their sons both committed suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just kind of out of the blue. Um, one was a, a football player in college and the other one was you know, active in lots of uh, extracurricular activities and stuff. And, um, but you know, they struggle with the same, the same thing. And I often ask myself, and I, I, I hesitate to even bring this up because it, I don't, I don't even know if it's a question that needs to be asked, but I've asked myself sometimes in, when I'm alone, just thinking, would I, would it have been harder or easier if Seth would have committed suicide? Now that, 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 that's an odd question to ask, but I feel like I, I can ask that to myself. I would never ask you or anybody else that question, but I think to myself, the fact that, you know, I think suicide would be so difficult as well, because you just never know why, especially if they didn't leave a note. Well, at least um, I know, I know exactly how Seth died and I know why. So there's closure there, but I think suicide adds that other element where, especially if they didn't leave a note and didn't tell anybody and they're, you're just like, I'll never know. I'll never know both, why. I, I just think to in me. Both, in both instances, the parents are judged for their children's deaths. True. Absolutely. True. Where were the parents? What, what yeah. was mom doing? What was dad doing? Were they abused? And a lot of times, it must a lot have of been times we're doing everything possible. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 matter of fact, I jokingly, now that you're on Dr. Phil, you know, when Seth was going through his stuff, I would say, you know, Seth, I've, I've Dr. Phil'd you, I've Oprah'd you, I've Bobby Knight, who was a basketball coach. He was a hard coach. I'm like, I Bobby Knighted you. I tough loved <laughs> you. I, so I always would name drop Dr. Phil. Like I tried, I've tried every angle to fix you. And the problem was, I, I just, I don't think I was aware of the underlying issues that he was going through. Then now in hindsight, I can look back and I can see there were some issues there that, um, you know, now, now in reflection and, you know, I've, I've, I've become more cognizant of that. Yeah. I'm not sitting there going, Amanda, you know, I, I, I have guilt. It's like, no, I think what I'll do is I'll take that guilt and I'll go help the next family. 
because that makes me feel better. You know, he's not coming back. I can't unwind any of the choices we both made, you know. Uh, but I have two other boys here mm-hmm. trying to be rock star dad to them, you know, and my mom just died. So I got my dad who's 90. I want to be a great son to him with his right. days that are left. Right. So there's lots of room for me to have gratitude and empathy and compassion still, even though my heart aches for, and then my wife, I, you know, people forget about that because so much attention is to Seth, but you know, my wife died of alcoholism mm-hmm. eight months ago. So it's like, but where do you spend all your time? You know, I, I don't enjoy being sad. I, 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 don't, I suck at it. I, I don't like it. A lot of times I'll just go ahead and process it. So I'll write it all down. And if it's something mm. that I feel like people can relate to, because I always, I, I write it all down and then I work out the whys, why I'm mm. feeling this way, how this impacted me, what people could do differently. And then I share it. And that's- Are you going to write a book? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not right now. Right now, uh... I'm so busy with fentanyl poisoning (laughs) awareness. Um, I asked you the book question last time we talked. You gave me the same answer. Yes, but not right now. (laughs) There are just other, there are other projects that are going on. Um, I'm going to be making a PSA for my local community soon. I've got everything together for that. I'm working with the education system. Um, and a number of teen organizations here to get fentanyl added to the curriculum, um, mm-hmm. which I was told no for the last year and a half. So that's what a really would be the big reason deal. behind saying no. Um, yeah, they they want you know proven strategies and stuff, you know, for fentanyl poisoning awareness. But if it kills awareness. you instantly, then what strategy is going to be any good? Well, it's not, maybe strategy is, is the wrong word. They want it based on other successful education systems. So because there are none for fentanyl, getting a new one added is always hard. Getting a new anything, Mm. getting a new law, getting a new anything is always, always, always hard. So a lot of us that are working with the education system and stuff, we're doing a lot of really groundbreaking things because it hasn't been done before. And whenever something hasn't been done before, people are leery about it to begin with anyway. Yeah. And getting into schools is difficult to do. I've, mm-hmm. these moms I, I talk with have suicide prevention awareness. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've struggled with getting into school because, you know, there's, there's a lot of us out there that have mm-hmm. programs we're trying to, to get into schools and yeah. so forth. And they're all good. I don't think anyone's better or worse than the other one. It's just schools have to do their vetting, you know, and make sure that, that it's a tested type program. But, you know, um, I don't know. Sometimes I get frustrated that I'm, I don't know if what we're, I can only speak for me. Sometimes I just feel like I'm not doing enough. I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. Even the tour, you know, it's 95 days on the road, you know, it's not roughing it. We're in a 34 foot fully loaded RV. So I no sympathy. I'm asking for that, but it's mm-hmm. like, that's a big commitment financially. You know, so far yeah. it's all my money. It's a big commitment time-wise. I'm, I'm, I have two pets. I have to leave back. I got to figure out what to do with them. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm walking away from a lot of other things I did our golf tournament fundraiser. We're not doing this summer. You know, a lot, it, it's a big commitment, It is. but I, I even feel like that's not enough. Oh, the first I mean, thing I said after walking out of Dr. <laughs> Phil was, 
I, I look at, I look at my partner. I'm like, what, what next now? What do I do? Right. You know, every day that I log into our fentanyl awareness groups and stuff like that. And I see new members, I cry and I feel like I didn't do my job. How many like, people are in your, uh, your fent your fentanyl awareness group? Um, I'm not even sure. I am not. Now, what, even it's, sure. There's I'm a lot like, of them I'm in. There are a is lot. The, yeah. Mine right. is the faces of, of accidental fentanyl poisoning. Um, okay. Cause that could have been one of the early ones I joined. Yeah. That was just a place for me to, you know, put the videos and, you know, put awareness out there on an awareness. So members page. don't have to have lost a members don't have to have lost a loved one, right? No, no, it's, I think it's some a public, of these groups though. They, yeah, this one's okay. a public page. It's not a group, but like okay. in our groups and stuff, you know, the more private things, when somebody comes for the first time, I call it coming out. Um, to tell their kids stories, you know, mm -hmm. so many of them are after Luca, you know, it seems like he was almost mm -hmm. at the beginning of this new surge of fentanyl and it just, it breaks my heart because I know what this feels like. And my goal is that no more parents feel this way. So every time there's another parent feeling this way and relating to me and understanding me, I feel guilty. Like I haven't been doing enough. If that makes any sense, hmm. <laughs> makes complete I mean, sense. I live in that world. All my only guilt yeah. I have is I'm not doing enough. Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, well, so I guess what's the next evolution for two, two, two part question. What's the next evolution for you? You mentioned some of the things you're working on, but I think as a, as a whole for us, you know, the parents that have lost the loved ones to these, to these things, whether it's accidental or, or, um, from, you know, um, with an addict, STD, I guess yeah. I'll just say the word. I, yeah. I can't think of another word off the top of my head. Um, but so what's next? I mean, what do you think, for, what do you think we should be doing for awareness to, to, to fix? Yeah. Just to, to get these numbers to start going in the other direction. I ask every guest this towards the end. It's like, we've had a good dialogue for 49 minutes, but it's like for awareness, what's, we, what's next. Yeah. No, for, uh, for awareness, we need to encourage others to share too. Um, they need to know that most of us have days that we still can't even take a shower or weeks mm -hmm. where we haven't vacuumed oh, yeah. our floor. You know, my dog needs a yeah. bath. My sheets yeah. need changed. I'm no different Tomorrow, from right? <laughs> anyone else. You know, I'm yeah. no different from anyone else. The The only difference is I'm willing to share because the stigma doesn't affect me like it does a lot of people. It doesn't, I'm not ashamed anymore. And a lot of parents, even in advocacy, will go, well, I'm not ashamed. But yeah a lot of us are a lot of us have a deep deep regret i i'm not gonna say guilt i'm gonna say regret mm -hmm. because it's much more in line with self-care and you know we just we need to encourage other people to grab onto that to share their stories things like you having your podcast and encouraging people to share and doing mm -hmm. the tour you know, there are so many things we can do to encourage other people to, to just share because the more we are willing to stand up, the more we're fighting the stigma 
of fentanyl. And honestly, for awareness, the stigma is the number one enemy of awareness. It absolutely is. If somebody can be dismissed as just another addict, then they can be dismissed from the public at large. And we don't want that. Yeah. You know, none of us want that. Do you see... Do you see this, and I have to call it an industry because I can't, again, think of another, you know, this movement, mostly women, because my experience is, is the men that are doing it seem to be substantially outnumbered. And I'm, and you know, obviously to create a child, you have to have well, one each. So but there I just are, wonder where the men are in a lot of this. There are really, really good, deep psychological reasons for this. Men are mm-hmm. generally trained from a very young age not to share their feelings not to share their thoughts not to be judged um all of those things men are both perpetuating the stigma and becoming victims of it because as long as as long as the men aren't sharing we have to share harder as women there are a lot more female advocates because a lot of us can get past the stigma for the love of our child but a lot of men are so damaged and the stigma is so ingrained, just like every other part of being a man, you know, mm-hmm. psychologically, there are so many things that are so negative ingrained in into men just to be able to survive or, you know, be accepted by your peers. So, you know, our fight, it, there may be more women, but we're doing it for the men in our lives, too. Because no true healing can come um, from a death of a loved one like this if we're still holding on to that stigma um, and perpetuating it by not talking. That's that's so well said because, you know, I when I allow myself to, to struggle, sometimes I think about, you know, and this will sound very sexist, but. I'm going to say it, but it's like, I'm the man of the house. And this happened under my watch. My wife died. My son died on my watch. You know, Mm -hmm. I I was, I was, you know, I was, I asked her to marry me because I was going to take care of. And you're the man. So you're ultimately responsible again, sexist, but yeah. So here's a man crying, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's like, I think to myself, you know, I met both of them and, um, now they're both gone and it was on my watch and I have an obligation to make sure for both of them that, you know, I, I continue their legacy the best I can, but not at my expense. And yeah. so it's taken a lot of work and, you know, you and I both are work in progress probably for the next 70, you know, however long we oh, live, you know, as long as I'm around, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind of a, a slow motion train wreck the rest of my life, but uh, I'm okay you know with what? the people. The moment you stop working on yourself <laughs> is the moment you should just pull the dirt in over yourself anyways, whether or not you've lost a child or any of the other tragic things that we've been through. Right. Um, That's a good point. That's a really good point. Once people you should I got always that saying I like up here, purpose becomes passion when it gets personal and it doesn't, it doesn't say purpose becomes passion when your son dies or your wife dies. It says when it gets personal Mm -hmm. and maybe you've never had anyone die, but you had breast cancer or colon cancer or, or a murder in the family or something sexually molested. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, there's so many personal things that can give you passion. I think that's why I wanted to start this show. I just, I was having so many conversations with people just on the phone, you know, people calling me and, mm -hmm. you know, they read my book and they saw me at a school or something. And I'm like, I, you know, I kind of like talking to people. You know, I, I yeah. could do, I could talk to you for eight hours. And if it wasn't you, I could talk to seven people for one hour. You know, it's like, <laughs> I enjoy this talking as much as almost anything I do anymore. And yeah. when I'm done with you, I have like 35 minutes to get ready for the next, I'm meeting a brand new human at four. I've, I've never met him before. He's a mental health advocate on LinkedIn. I'm excited to meet him, start a new relationship. And it's like, that's kind of the beauty of the journey you and I are on is that, you know, um, we are, we are, we are taking three steps forward for every one we take back and we have to stay net positive that way, or you and I will be joining our, our kids, which, you know, I'm in no hurry at this moment. First of all, I think they're with us anyway, but, um, you know, uh, we'll get there eventually. Right. I was in a hurry at first. And then Luca told me, to I calm. was too, for the he first six he months, he told me to calm down. He, he told me to calm down. He, he's shaking you, know. you mom. Yeah. Yeah. So let me I, ask you a question. Do, do you have really tough dreams? Sometimes. Sometimes. I had one last night. Mm. I had one last night and I haven't had one for a long time. I don't even remember it, but I remember waking up just shaking and in tears and, and just and my dog sleeps in my room and he was even by the side of my bed because he's very hyper aware. Yeah. He's a Labrador and he's, he's just like a human. You have a dog too, right? Oh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know what they're like when you cry, they come right over to you. And, I'm and so Camus knew I was, Camus knew I was going through something last night. It was like three 30 in the morning. I don't remember the dream, but I know it had something to do with, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with, you know, the trauma I went through, but it's, I was going to ask you, you know, do, do, I talked to Seth all day long. I haven't had a lot of dreams about him though, which is really odd. You know, I, I think I've had either. two or three in five years. Yeah, I really, I haven't either. And I used to have the nightmares almost every night. I would wake up and not be able mm -hmm. to go back to sleep, you know, mm -hmm. all of the different things. So, you know, I would wake up, not be able to go back to sleep. Um, I thought that I was going to have to take medications for it at a couple of points, but you know, me with medications, I, I am a PTSD survivor. So mm -hmm. I've struggled with suicidal ideation for quite a while. And when I'm taking medications, mm -hmm. it actually makes it worse. People say, Oh, well, mm -hmm. have you tried meds? Yes, I have. Um, you know, your limits. Yeah. I do. I do. And so I became better able to, you know, do my meditating at night before bed and, you know, those mm -hmm. kind of things. So and I get off my phone before bed, hmm. you know, that's Great another, idea. that's another really, yeah. really big one, you know, spend some time away from the phone before bed, even if it's only five minutes or 10 minutes to start. I know we're all addicted to these things. Um, right. That's the nature of society, which is why it's so right. dangerous for fentanyl to be sold on places like Snapchat, because our kids just have this computer in their hand already, you know. Um, so is it being sold on Instagram and all these other, uh, sites, I guess I I'm not on that many, but I saw a post the DEA put up and there's lots of sites I've never even heard of there's yeah. lots of Snapchat's equivalents. I've never heard of. There are, there are. And I mean, it's, 
the dealers are putting it out there. They're casting a net to every single place they can possibly sell it. So, you know, um, the places that it's most prevalent are, you know, Snapchat, WhatsApp, um, those kind of things. It's, it's all encrypted. So it's more of a private site, you know, um, and they're doing that for a reason. They're absolutely doing that for a reason. Well, um, we're at, we're at an hour. It was a fast hour. Enjoyed this very much. Uh, two questions. How do people reach you? Like what's the easiest way for people to reach you? Um, probably at this point, finding me on Facebook. I am Amanda Faith. There's only, there's only one of me. Everybody should be able to recognize the smile. Um, <laughs> or, you know, the faces of accidental fentanyl poisoning. Um, yeah, and if they're, if they're in any of the other fentanyl awareness groups, they'll see me pop in from time to time. I will try to put all the contact information when I post this. Yeah. Um, last question. Last question. Okay. What's the one word of wisdom you would give right now to a parent that has a eight, nine, 10 year old coming up to be the next Luca and Seth, you know, age wise, at least what's the nugget you would give them one or two things you would give them. So, so they're not just going to be absolutely terrified every moment of every day, but how they can deal with this stuff. Um, bond with your kids, spend time with them, enjoy their interests with them, be very involved in their lives as much as you can be and mm-hmm. talk to them about the actual dangers of drugs and fentanyl use and, mm-hmm. you know, teach them coping mechanisms that don't involve substances and don't model sub- substance use to them as coping mechanisms. Um, you know, you have to, you have to live it and, and be it in front of them and for them to make healthy little thems. Show them, right? Mm-hmm. Not tell them. Well, I uh, appreciate this very much. I think this show will be a very timely show for a lot of my followers are pretty familiar with my story, but you know, your story, like I said, can certainly add a lot of um, validation to the urgency yeah. of this epidemic because urgency is a key word there. It's one thing we're trying to get people to quit drinking or quit doing drugs. It's another mm-hmm. when, you, you know, there's no second chance with this stuff right now. It's, no, it's, I mean, there's no, they're just being poisoned it's not a video to death. game where it's, you buy another life. Yeah. It's over. And, and that's, people have to be aware. Kids have to be, you know, parents can tell their kids, but ultimately the kids are going to have to be hyper aware. That's why getting into schools, I think is just a, such a no brainer. And we can't wait. We can't wait a month. You know, how many kids no. are going to die in the next 30 days? Exactly. You know, I mean, there's somebody's son or daughter. What, how many die a day in the United States? of overdose is it 165 or something i think it's closer to three yeah okay i'm way yeah i need to update my numbers i think it's i think it's closer to 300 it's 200 something um yeah but at the at the astronomical rate that it's been growing you know it won't be long until Every single kid out there knows a kid that's that's died from fentanyl poisoning. Um, mm-hmm. It it's becoming just an epidemic of astronomic proportions. 
and there's nothing to even compare it with no and because of the stigma nobody's talking about it so that's that's why i i stick with you know breaking the stigma is all of our responsibility it's absolutely every single one of our responsibility well we're just getting started so you you and i have a lot we have a lot of um passionate work ahead of us but Mm -hmm. it's very rewarding at the same time and we're going to meet so many like-minded people on this adventure that I have to think that some parents and kids are going to, their lives are going to change and and they'll make that choices to make, you know, I don't know, just give, give people one extra day, give people some hope and some inspiration. You know, that's kind of the goal to get people, especially the ones that are struggling with addiction issues to get them to another day. You know, every sober person has the day they quit. We just got to get into that day. You know, we don't know what day it's going to be, but then we just got to have these needless, senseless murders stop immediately somehow. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And that's the thing I'm trying to learn on these podcasts is, um, it seems very antiquated to say, just shut the border. It's like, they're bringing drones in there's ports. I mean, they have tunnels. It's like, and I, I just you know, think we have to think a little bit bigger than that. There's always going to be a fentanyl or something like a fentanyl. Yeah. Okay. There right. always has been. Um, right. I think it's more of a matter of warning people about it, showing the mm-hmm. real consequences, and just having open and honest conversations like this one. You know, right. encouraging the conversations. Um, with the more and more people you can is an amazing, amazing feat. Well, thank you for your advocacy. And I look forward to meeting you when we come to California. Uh, I know you're going to be working with us, trying to get a state partnership Mm -hmm. set up with a nonprofit that you uh, have a relationship with. I would love to have you be our local advocate in the area. So the day that we come and speak that have you present and talk about your story and we can have Luca on the RV with Seth Mm -hmm. going around the United States, uh, picking up other kids uh, as we go. And, you know, at the end of this tour, have an RV full of wonderful stories of great people that aren't here, but we can do something about it. They can't. Uh, Yeah. And I know. I have. Oh, but they I are. I never run out of. What's <laughs> but that? They, but they are. They are. They are. <laughs> they are. I said that wrong, but they, they are. They're with us. We know that. They're all with us. I mean, it's heart wrenching to see these posts and just the pictures and the names. It's like someone once said, you know, Jeff, you can tell an audience that 800,000 people died from, let's say, suicide, but you put one picture up for 10 seconds. That's all you got to do. And and then we could start changing things, but big numbers, people can't relate to that. So um, you, you know, gotta keep Luca's face out there and Seth's face out there and yeah. constantly. Yeah. Well, we will. Um, but again, thank thank you very much. I appreciate this. Um, and uh I look forward to talking soon. Okay. All right. Have a good day. Keep living undeterred, okay? You too.